right, guys, welcome to another edition of Texans Unfiltered. Uh, we are blessed to be joined by Antonio Camardi. David, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, talk with me today. I'm super excited to talk to you. I see a potential cornerback one. I uh, can move very well, does can play man-to-man very well. I think that he is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. He does things that are so amazing, and the competitor in him is just special. Um, I'm excited, man, and I I can't wait to get there. I think it does really fit my skill set. All right, welcome to Texans Unfiltered. This is John Wade. Uh, you can find me at John A. Wade 3 on Twitter. I promise I will start getting back in Twitter here shortly. I've just wanted to take like a mental break, um, kind of calm down because I was on it way too much. And all of Twitter has just been, you know, just tearing us a new one constantly. And I got tired of it. So took a break, took a little mental break, um, watched the Super Bowl. And, you know, it's about to be talking season, so I'm going to have to pay more attention. So I'll be more responsive again. So thank you all all so much to everybody that's reached out. Excited tonight, I got Coach Barnes. He's going to join us. He's going to be the first of many, many uh, guest hosts we have. We are actually all the, already booked all the way through May. So y'all are awesome. Like, I appreciate everybody's passion and the fact that everybody wants to get on here and, and just talk Texans. Uh, we are really going to be Texans unfiltered this offseason. Texans talking unfiltered about Houston Texans football. Um, every week's going to be a little bit different. Um but we're gonna we're gonna make the most of it. We're gonna have fun with it. Get a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different people that probably know more, way more about football than I do. So I'm excited. I hope to learn something and hopefully keep y'all entertained. So, Coach, how are you? How are you doing tonight? Ah, oh, man, doing good, doing good. How about you? I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> which is all we can ask for. It's been a crazy week, to say the least. Well, let's yeah. just start off. Just start off, just tell me, tell the listeners a little bit about you, uh, where they can find you. And if you're trying to sell anything or promote anything, now's your chance to get it out there. All right. Um, yeah, man. Um, you know, I go by Coach Barnes on Twitter. You know, my ad is uh, at Rumple Still Win. You know, I've been coaching. I've been coaching on the middle school and high school level for about 10 years. I also scout collegially. Um, you know, I really don't have anything to sell or anything like that, but I do have a friend of mine. Uh, goes by the name of Tajay Bird in the city of Houston and in the surrounding area. He puts on like these art shows that are really innovative. They're like they're like half art show, half club, and it's really really cool experience called the All Access Art Show. You guys should check it out. Oh, that actually sounds pretty cool. And that's in Houston. Yeah, it's in Houston. Okay. That mm-hmm. sounds like an Austin thing, but that actually sounds really cool. Yeah, and, and you know, for, for Houston, it's kind of different. So, you know, it's kind of bringing more of that Austin, kind of California feel here and putting our own little spin on it. Yeah. All right, well, let's hop into it. Did you listen right. to the radio this morning? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. A little bit I did. All right, so John, I'm going to – John Granado with ESPN Radio. Cool. Throughout there, he said, within three years, Josh McCown will be the head coach of the Houston Texans. We kind of talked about this a little while ago when we were looking at how the staff was put together. And I'm just trying to find out from an outside perspective, is this why our staff is kind of an interesting staff? Let's be honest. Like, how they put it together has been very, very interesting. So what are your thoughts on this? It it feels like again, like a staff is being put together, but not by the head coach. Typically when, you know, a a new head coach comes in, he brings in his guys, he brings in, you know, his coordinators. And it seems like he was brought in individually and all of the coordinators are coming in and they're just being placed either by Casario or Easterby. I'm not sure, but I mean, it would probably scream Easterby a little bit more because McCown was here before Casario. And everybody, when McCown got here, everyone was kind of like, hmm, that's kind of weird. You know, he's not really going to play. What is he doing exactly? And it's almost like a puppeteer behind the scenes just controlling everything, and we're just along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, what I've been kind of thinking about it is it's, you know how sometimes you have those big blockbuster movies that they write the script around the set pieces. 
So it seems like there was certain set pieces that already existed with the coaching staff that they wanted to kind of fit in. And I think that may be part of the reason why Cooley was even hired because he was willing to go, go, go with that. Like hmm. he was willing to be given a staff to manage instead of putting his own staff together. And, you know, and I, I agree with, I agree with you actually, because I mean, how many coaches are actually going to finally get their opportunity and not be able to do it their way. And to be completely honest, if that was maybe the, the deciding factor between Cauley, Leslie Frazier and Eric Bieniemy, then, I mean, I'm glad I didn't get the guy that was, I mean, I'm glad that Eric Bieniemy is who we thought he was, but at the same time, it sucks because he is who we thought we, he is and that's not fitting our culture. So what are, what is your overall impression of the staff? Are you happy with it? Um, what's your, what's your thoughts? Well, to be completely honest, I'm not, I don't hate Lovey Smith as much as everybody else does. It's just grabbing a defensive coordinator that runs the Tampa two is really interesting to me considering I feel like that's the scheme that our, personnel is farthest away from is a Tampa two scheme. And I mean, if no, I'm not going to get into personnel yet, but then he hires his son, which I I don't know his credentials. So I'm not going to really speak on that. I'm not sure. I mean, I like Pep Hamilton at, um, as the quarterbacks coach because he was actually a, a wanted commodity other than, anybody else everyone else we grabbed seemed like we didn't have any competition for them because no one else wanted them anyway that's fair i would say at this point it almost looks like the offensive staff has been built around pep hamilton other than tim kelly Hmm. um if you look at even the mcdaniels kid and shoot what's the uh the offensive line campton campen is it campen um the new offensive line coach yes yeah james campen mm-hmm. um they they have connections with hamilton like they actually do they've actually all coached together hmm. nobody else on the staff has coached with tim kelly at this point because the tight ends coach lolling went with bill o'brien over to alabama so typically an offensive coordinator gets to build like the guys that have worked with them worked in similar systems so they can all you know, be on the same page. Mm-hmm. What is weird about this is these aren't Tim Kelly guys. These are Pep Hamilton guys. Hmm. You know, it, it almost, I mean, Tim Kelly's here for Deshaun. I, I mean, I feel like that's safe to assume. He's here for Deshaun to at least have one person in the building that still he holds in high regard. The thing is, is that what happens what happens with the offense? Is is Kali considered an offensive or a defensive head coach? I've heard him speak nothing on a specific scheme he's going to implement. He only speaks on traits and things like that. And, I mean, I don't feel like that explains exactly what we're going to be. I would think a coach that's coming from the Andy Reid tree would be coming with more of a West Coast-style offense like Andy Reid. But – Tim Kelly is still the coordinator. Are we going to still be implementing Bill O'Brien's offense? Are we going to incorporate some Andy Reid into it? I mean, how is that going to work? How is this offense? Is the offense going to be built for Deshaun, or is the offense going to be more user-friendly? Yeah, I mean, that's the question. Is it going to be a Pep Hamilton offense, or is it going to be a Tim Kelly offense? Hmm. And, I mean, from Cooley, basically what I've gotten – the impression from is he's he's a character guy. He's going to be a CEO style coach. He's going to let the coordinators do coordinator things, which, you know, I'm fine with. I have no issue with that. I think that there's a lot of very successful coaches out there that can do that. But I don't know what's the unifying theme offensively because Cooley's not going to come in and he's definitely not going to put a the chief system in. Even though he's the anti Andy Reid coach and disciple, Reid has said that Cooley helped him develop his offense as much as any other coach out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at what players say about Cooley, Deshaun Jackson talked about how he helped him with the mental part of the game, helped him become the player he is. But he didn't really talk about scheming him or using him to his ability. 
So I don't think that Cooley's going to have that much impact on the offense. I think he's literally going to let Tim Kelly be the coach. But Tim Kelly and Pep Hamilton have different offensive philosophies. So to me, that's that could be a disaster. Like I, I'm, I'm terrified about that. And then the strongest parts of our coaching staff, the offensive line, um, Pep Hamilton, the quarterback coach, those two guys, probably the best two hires, in my opinion, so far. Mm-hmm. And I, the wide receiver coach, he I mean, he looks like he'll be pretty good. But again, not really. I think he's got a little bit of a Patriots connection because um, uh, the Lions ran that similar scheme. So it's just, it's weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make very much sense at all, but I'm... Um... I'll say this, Tim Kelly, even though we, he had his issues on offense this year as far as opening drives, Tim Kelly did a pretty good job adjusting. So I'm willing to at least see what he can do this year. And I mean, I feel like that position is honestly like, um, I feel like that's kind of like an open gig right there. It's kind of a, what do you call it when you have one year left? Um, What is it called when you have one year left on your contract? Lame duck. Yeah, I, I feel <laughs> like that's lame, yeah. I feel like it's a lame duck position right there. If it goes well, then Tim <laughs> Kelly's gonna probably become a head coaching candidate pretty quickly. If it doesn't go well, you kind of have a couple people that you're already grooming for that spot anyway. Okay. Do you think that it's realistic to expect that Josh McCown will be the head coach within three years? Yeah, I don't put anything past. I don't. I don't put anything past the Texans anymore. And I mean, if we didn't have the track record we had, and if we didn't have the the culture that we had, and if it wasn't the climate of the team we had right now, it might not be as bad of a move as it seems. You know, McCown probably would have been accepted a little differently if he wasn't brought in who he was brought in by and when he was brought in. You know, anything done by Easterby is. You know, it's it's looked at in a negative light. But at the same time, I could see who's to say Josh McCown couldn't be a good coach. He probably could be. He's been around so many different coaches, so many different teams for so long. I'm sure he could. Yeah. I mean, he's considered kind of like Tony Romo of broadcasting. He's supposed to be the Tony Romo of coaching candidates out of players that are currently playing. Um, it's just the opinion the out there. I know the opinion out there on Josh McCown out of any active player, he'll end up being the best coach. Now. I mean, what does that really mean? Honestly, like, what does that mean? What guys out there that were currently currently head coaches were actually players in the NFL. Like who was the last one that you had success with? You're saying the last player that that's a coach. I I mean, it's a few. A few, uh, but had a lot of success. I mean, there's some guys every there er, and then. I think that if that's the route you want to go, is I mean, look at Byron Leftwich. I mean, he would have been he should have been interviewed. Huh. I don't even know how he yeah. wasn't interviewed. Adolfo, yeah, but I just I don't I don't think the Texans actually did anything wrong with how they brought in McCown. Like bring him in as a backup quarterback, that extra essentially to be an extra coach. I I think they handled it the right way to develop McCown, and mm-hmm. I think that he has the Easterby stink on him, which sucks. Exactly. But even though they're handling that as much as anything the right way, because they don't handle many things the right way, that it's not really a recipe for success, in my opinion. What just um, basically having a coach and waiting? Well, you saying having develop that? a player into a coach. I mean, mm-hmm. all those years he was playing, he should have like coaches should be out there coaching. Yeah, there's a reason why there's so many younger head coaches that are having success. They're they're putting the work in and they're learning how to do it now and they're learning how to do it on the fly. Um, whereas, I mean, McCallum has been an, a player. No, I could be completely wrong. He could end up being a great head coach. I just, I don't. Rabel, I mean, Jim Harbaugh, 
Like it's just a, it's not a recipe really for a lot of success, in my opinion. Of course, I could be mm. missing somebody completely. <sighs> and I actually agree with this. Uh, Todd Bowles is the guy that should definitely have gotten an interview. It's that is absolutely. Yeah, see, Todd Bowles is another person that kind of has the stink of a previous job, like. That Jets job just kind of put a negative stigma on Ty Bowles, even though he didn't do a bad job coaching that team. No, that was a bad roster, not a bad coach. Yeah. All right. Well, next thing is up. As we're talking about rosters, we're going to talk about roster construction. And I want to point it out with what happened to the Texans defense. <laughs> so two years ago, I think it was two years ago, the Texans had a front seven that was considered the best in the league, the best front seven in the entire NFL. Yeah. Two and, years and to dismantle even it. Still, that was with, even with J.J. Hurt, that defense still produced. Mm -hmm. So it took less than two years to dismantle it, and they haven't replaced anything. And this is going to go over a general trend of roster construction. What are they doing? Well, a few things that we've done is we've definitely we've missed on draft picks, man. We we've missed on draft picks, and we've instead of being able to like you know grow your players and pay them, we've let some guys walk, and their replacements aren't nearly the caliber of player as what we just lost. You know, we I mean we can go back to Deshaun's rookie year. Dwayne Brown gets traded away. It took until 2019 to replace Dwayne Brown, and we literally gave away our future to do so. You know, uh, we get rid of Clowney, we bring in we bring in Jacob Martin and Barkevius Mingo. Still not the same production because with Clowney, yes, he didn't have the sack numbers, which everybody concentrates on, but he was a hell of a run defender, and we lost that. Then you go to the cornerback position. Our cornerbacks, you had Jonathan Joseph, who, of course, he was aging. And if any time he was up against T.Y. Hilton, he was getting torched. But the problem is you replace Jonathan Joseph with Bradley Roby. Kareem Jackson, yeah, he ends, uh, he's in the secondary. He goes to safety. You never really replaced your number two corner position. You have Justin Reed as a safety, then you bring over Kareem Jackson and you have Tyron Matthew back there and the safety position's loaded. And then we break that down. It's almost like every position we build up strong, we break it down thinking that we have players there developing, but we don't. So do you think this is a lack of plan, of bad drafting? Um... I think it's bad drafting. I just think, I think, I don't think we evaluate talent well as a team, and that's one thing I'm hoping Casario does better. We have not evaluated talent well in Houston. So how do you think Casario is going to go about roster um, roster development and roster building? Well, I'm hoping that it's a little bit – I'm hoping it's a little bit aggressive, and I'm hoping it's a little bit of how the Patriots did things. I don't think every player needs to be signed to a big contract and some players, yeah, you got to sell high. You know, I think it has to be a healthy, it has to be a healthy dose of knowing when to sell high, but also knowing when to reward your stars. And at the same time, I'm big on building through the draft. So I'm really hoping he evaluates the team for what's needed in the NFL today. I mean, you have to have linebackers that can run. You have to have linebackers that can run. I know we say Zach Cunningham's a fast a linebacker, and I think Zach Cunningham's a good player, but Zach Cunningham runs a 4-6-7. It's not all about the 40, but at certain times, you can tell that that speed disparity is there. McKinney is not the fastest linebacker either, and I'm, again, I'm not saying that they're not great players, but um, we're kind of in a situation where our personnel is kind of redundant. Okay, and we maybe should have talked about this when we talked about the coaches, but what on earth are they going to do with the defensive personnel this year? The Tampa 2 seems like it's the furthest scheme away from what we actually have in the building. Granted, when I really look at the roster and I look at the defensive roster, I'm not sure what scheme would fit what we have. It's kind of a mishmash. But <laughs> the Tampa 2, 
What are what are we gonna do? Do you do you see anybody on our roster that you could really fit into Lovey Smith's system? Do you think that they're gonna go out and find free agents, or do you think Lovey's gonna cave and do something different? All right. Well, this is gonna this is actually gonna. I feel like this the position that's least equipped is our linebacker position. In the secondary, I feel like you may be able to piece it together, but a lot of that's dealing with hopes and prayers. Because, yeah, Bradley Roby, he was doing a lot of shadowing this year, so you could probably keep him in more of that shadow role, which would be great. And maybe you would be able to move Lonnie Johnson back to corner, and since it'd be in the Tampa 2 scheme, you know, he'd be bumping run at the line with help over the top, and that would be great. But, again, we're hoping that he'll be able to do that. We don't have the players that we know can succeed in this system. At safety, I mean, if you're in the Tampa 2, your safety play has to be strong. And at the end of the day, Justin Reed is a solid football player. But who is our second safety? I love A.J. Moore. I think A.J. Moore is really fast. I think he brings a lot of uh, – I think he brings a lot of juice. But he's also really over-aggressive. So where are we going to go there? <sighs> That's the question. Well, I mean, you you kind of squint, kind of look at them sideways. Maybe maybe you can squeeze the secondary into a Tampa two. I would almost argue though, you keep Lonnie Johnson at safety. Um, he he was just a bad safety instead of an awful corner, and <laughs> I think that um, I think that Jordan Texans thoughts actually put a great great comparison out there. If you look at measurables, Lonnie Johnson's most comparable player is Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. So, and when we drafted Lonnie, I always said that he could he could fail into safety and be a just with the skills he already had, he could be a decent safety. Whereas okay. he was going to be a project at corner. If he turned into a good corner, he'd been all right and would be over the moon and would be happy. But worst case for him was he was going to fail into like an average safety, which is exactly what's happened. He's failed into being an average safety. But I just, I'm hoping that Lovey Smith and Super Dupa actually got to, got to the point. Mm-hmm. We've got to, we ha- we're going to know really quickly what type of coach Lonnie Smith is, what type of defensive coordinator he is. Because if he tries to pigeonhole this defense into that Tampa two, then it's going to be a very long season. And there's not enough coach is. Is he gonna? Is he gonna? Not enough. Go ahead. There's not enough free agents out there. There's not enough players to bring in. Even if we drafted the entire draft of defensive players, even if we get a haul for Deshaun Watson and he ends up being traded, and we do get all these picks. We don't have the players to run his system. Like, this is something that's ultimately the, one of the most frustrating things about being a Texans fan is yeah. they don't build up with an end goal. It almost feels sometimes too many voices in the room that don't quite have a goal of what type of team to put together. And well, actually, actually, um, to that same point, I feel like that's actually the biggest issue of the Texans. We always get scheme coaches rather than coaches that create a scheme for their players. Remember Bill O'Brien first came in here, he was trying to implement an offense like everybody was Tom Brady. That offense worked because Tom Brady is meticulous on his timing and he prepares like none other. When he tried to come here and bring that, it, it didn't work because that offense wasn't tailored to who we had. As, as, um, it wasn't tailored to our personnel. Even and, still, right, and I just want to interrupt up two of the things that Tom Brady does. Um, is he makes you not want to invest as much into an offensive line because he always makes the offensive line looks better because he gets the ball out so quickly. And he, his greatest skill, Tom Brady's greatest skill, is pocket awareness, he just knows where to step to get enough room to throw the ball. Yeah, so I think he's fooled a generation of Patriots coaches into devaluing the offensive line and devaluing receivers. But no, I do agree with you other than that. I just think that they come with that mindset that don't overpay offensive line, don't overpay wide receivers. 
and you can't copy that without Brady. But we we pay we definitely paid the price for that for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of speaking of receivers, did you you saw that um that stat earlier today about the the Patriots receivers, right? Oh yeah, the uh, guys uh, that they all drafted. Of the they drafted since Julian Edelman. I'm really Not hoping a single that single one has worked out. To do with those picks. I mean, that's missing on what one. That's 10 wide receivers you missed on since well, Read the list real quick. Okay. You have Brandon Tate, Taylor Price, Jeremy Ebert, Josh Boyce, Aaron Dobson. Y'all remember him? If you had him in fantasy for one year, he had like three good games. Uh, you got Jeremy Gallon, David Lucian, Malcolm Mitchell, who I actually thought was going to be pretty good, but he's on his fifth ACL, so... Yeah, Braxton Berrios and Nikhil Harry, who I guess the jury's kind of still out. Now, the question with some of those some of those names, Boyce and Dobson, Mitchell, Berrios, Berrios and um, Harry, they all came out with positive um, draft grades. Like, these were That's guys true. that were expected to be good. Malcolm Mitchell, I think his biggest downfall was he just couldn't stay healthy. Um, yeah, yeah. But is this on the Patriots for not developing them? And then also... I mean, they rely on Edelman. They relied on Edelman and Gronk. That was the receiving core. And then James yeah. White or whatever running back. So And Edelman was a converted quarterback. Scorer. Yeah. Mm, you know, it has to be put on a little bit of both. It has to be put on the, the scouting department for not projecting. Because the scouting, the scouting department, as a scout, you're supposed to project your development of that player. You know what I mean? And knowing who your personnel is and knowing what you're trying to teach that receiver and knowing what your scheme is and and what that team values most, you're supposed to be able to project um, development. And it's got to fall on the scouting department. You can put it partially on the coach, but it falls on the scouting department because those players did have red flags and those red flags were very bright. Yeah, Nikhil Harry also. Nikhil Harry is Jalen Strong. I mean, I know they went to the same school, and it's easy to like, you know, archetype a player, but they're the same guy. They ran a good forty, and they have really slow shuttles. They're about the exact same size. They're not sudden, but they're really good jump ball back shoulder guys. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, with Nick Casario, what are you yeah. hoping that his draft philosophy ends up being? Do you hope that he sticks to the uh, par- to the Patriots? Um, what What are you hoping to see out of him? And I just hope that he trusts the tape. I hope he trusts the tape, and I hope he values production. At the end of the day, the players that are good in the pros, they were typically really good in college. I mean, and I'm not I'm not trying to say that as a generalized statement. I don't mean good as in a contributing player, I mean good as in someone that was leaned on. You know what I mean? I mean someone that's used to performing in the big moment, used to being counted on in the big moment, and has actually performed in the big moment repeatedly over and over. Those are the players that I hope that he likes and I hope that he goes after. I hope that we'll go after somebody a little more rough around the edges. I don't want us to have players that are, you know, stomping their pregnant girlfriends. I'm not pointing anybody out specifically, but you know, a little rough around the edges, you know, a guy that maybe, you know, kind of toes the line a little bit. But, you know, I, I, that's what I hope. I hope he goes after really good football players that have proven production and that have done big things in big moments. All right. So do you think – I don't know. I, You know – I kind of lost my train of thought on that. Um, pretty much Pars- or Belichick, and it was Parcells a little bit too. They would double up on a position. Um, yeah. And then we'd kind of talked last night how you'd said how you hope they go over best player available. Um, Definitely. Or do you think part of the Patriots' problem and kind of the rumor is Belichick trusts college coaches that he has relationships with more so than he even coaches it or trusts his own scouts? Do you think that's an issue? Man, well, I have to I have to say this, man, you know, 
when you've had as much success as he's had after all this time, I'm sure it's easy to get drunk off your own punch. You know what I mean? Like it's been proven it's worked. And I'm sure that that's probably what he leans on when he says those type of things like, Oh, well, I've gotten this player from this guy. I've gotten this player from this guy, you know, Well, next thing up, what do you think the champs could teach the Houston Texans? So, the, well, the Super Bowl was kind of boring. Um, <laughs> the Buccaneers absolutely came out there, just weighed lace to the, laid waste to the Chiefs, mm-hmm. and just you know tore them a new one. It was not a very exciting game. Um, they were, the Chiefs were outcoached, outplayed. The defense on the Buccaneers really should get a lot more credit, even though Brady's getting all the credit. Right. But other than signing Tom Brady, what do you think the Texans could actually learn from the Buccaneers? All jokes aside, not really trying to be funny when I say this, and I say it with all due respect, they can learn how to build a team. Literally, they can learn how to build a defense from the ground up from the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers defense is equipped to deal with literally almost any scenario you throw it at them offensively. I I honestly, when dealing with the Super Bowl, I had not a shadow of a doubt that the Buccaneers would win. And it wasn't just because it wasn't just because they had Tom Brady, but it was because I knew they had linebackers that could run with with Kelsey. I know they had linebackers that could literally just run with the receiver and help on a double team and be underneath. Also, their D-line, Vita Vea up front. That man, that man takes up two, three blockers at a time. Then you have Sue. Then you have Pierre Paul. You have Shaquille Barrett. You just have swarms of players. Think about it like this. Shaquille Barrett is in the front seven. Shaquille Barrett's like maybe the what fourth fastest guy they have in their front seven. If he was in our front seven, wouldn't he be the fastest? Oh, yeah. And it's not all about speed, but when you're dealing with quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes that can get outside the pocket and gun it, you gotta you gotta have you gotta have dogs. You gotta have athletes that can go get it. Period. Yeah, the Buccaneers have so much speed that their linebackers are faster than our safeties. Yeah. Oh, definitely. (laughs) That's. That's not an exaggeration. They had two linebackers that ran in the four fours. I mean, Justin Reed ran. What did he run? Like a four five? I mean, this is not uh, did, an exaggeration. Yeah, he ran four four. They, he did run a four four. Yeah, okay. he ran four four. But, but he doesn't play but still. <laughs> but yeah. still, I mean, the fact that it's even up for discussion whether or not exactly. their linebackers were as fast as our safeties. And it also shows that they've adapted to a a much quicker game. Mm-hmm. I, the Buccaneers actually made the Chiefs look slow. To me, that was the most impressive part. You look at Tyreek Hill, who was supposed to be uncoverable. Travis Kelsey, he still got his. I mean, he still got like 100 and some, some odd yards. Mm-hmm. He didn't score. Right. And it was just swarming speed. Like, how did Todd Bowles not get an interview somewhere? Like, seriously. I'm sure he'll be on the radar for the next for the next go-round. But that, that Buccaneers team, they were showing that talent last year. Remember when they played us and Jameis was just throwing all those interceptions? And, I mean, we kept getting the ball back, and we could not move the ball. I mean, when you have a physical corner like Carlton Davis that comes up in your, into your face, and he jacks you up. He's not the fastest, but he's physical, he's confident, and he's a ball hawk. Then you have Jamil Dean, who's big, and he runs a 4-2. And then you have Sean Murphy Bunting, who's twitchy. He runs a 4-3, and he's about 6-1.5. You literally have everything you need, and they drafted those guys in two years. All of those guys, that was like, what, I think that's Jamil Dean and um, and Sean Murphy Bunting. This is their second season in the league. It's Carlton Davis' third. And these are guys that were there on the board. Even if we weren't missing first and second round picks, they were still there and we passed them by. Yeah. I'd also point out that the Buccaneers, they took a lot of risk on players. Like bringing back in 
bring back Sue, Antonio yeah. Brown, uh, JPP. Like these are guys that other teams would red flag. And, and Bruce Arians, I mean, he's always been known for that. So he ended up being the perfect coach for that franchise. But that friend, I mean, JPP and Sue were brought on before Arians was even the coach there. So this allowed them to build a very, very deep roster. And they were honestly held back by Jameis Winston. Like Winston has oh, all the talent cool. in the world, but he, he's got to stop throwing interceptions and you bring in Brady and Brady again, he's getting all this credit. Brady wasn't Brady. He was not the Brady he from picked, even five years he ago. He picked a very good team. At the beginning of his career, he got carried by the defense. At the end of his career, he's getting carried by the defense again. In the middle, I feel like he carried the team. But, I mean, you know, I respect it. Kind of like what Peyton Manning did. It's just I feel like he still looks the part a little bit more than Peyton did when he went to the Broncos. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he definitely looks the part a little bit more, but mm -hmm. he didn't win that game. Uh, oh, no, no, part of me, it kills me that he, that he got MVP, but he didn't win that game. I mean, he went yeah. out there and he did what he was supposed to. And, I mean, yeah, he deserves all the credit that he's getting for for his age and performing the way he did at his age. But, mm -hmm. I mean, he's a mid-level court. He's, well, maybe not mid-level, but maybe maybe top 10-ish, closer to 10-ish yeah. on the quarterback scale. Like, he's, he's not, he didn't carry that team. The defense did. Right, but I think he won the MVP also because defensive players uh, for the Buccaneers, they didn't really get the sexy stats. You know what I mean? Right. There wasn't somebody that got like a pick six or somebody that had four sacks. You know what I mean? So in absence of something like that, it kind of defaults to the GOAT. Fair enough. Do you think that the reason the defense looked so good was Pat Mahomes couldn't walk? Partially, but man, did you see those throws he was making? I know. <laughs> they were still really, they were still really good throws. I was like, man, nobody else could do that. My God, dude, I, I'm surprised he didn't kill that receiver when he hit him in the face mask, like parallel to the ground, just like whips it, hits the dude yeah. right in the face mask. I think that um, I can't remember the name of the receiver at this point, but I think he was just more like shocked that the ball got there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I think definitely think the turf toe has something to do with it, but that pressure they were getting, I mean, when they put Vita Vea at the five and he was rushing from out there, I mean, it was I mean, he collapsed the pocket so nasty. I mean, there was nothing that anyone could have done about that. Yeah, Vita uh Vita Vea was actually probably the biggest game changer. Um, oh yeah. He made that everybody on that defense look a little bit better. Just because, you know, Mahomes didn't have any time to throw. And I Found it hilarious when somebody was putting up, um, was tweeting, step up in the pocket, step up in the pocket, step up where, dude. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the thing is, though, that's the day you can't, it's dangerous to step up in the pocket against the Buccaneers because them linebackers are missiles. <laughs> they would have yeah. just knocked his mouthpiece out of his mouth, literally. Actually, they <laughs> did. So, Do you want to even entertain this argument that's going on right now that, that? Sean Watson would have played better than Pat Mahomes in that game? I mean, at the end of the day, people have to be open. You know, I think I, I'm no, I can't agree. I feel like I feel like Deshaun is a better scrambler than Mahomes. I'll say that he Deshaun is a better scrambler, but. The way Mahomes was able to make those throws when he completely like the the one when he was body was parallel to the ground and he just Deshaun can't make those throws. A lot of those throws that Mahomes even attempted would have been one hops, and that's no disrespect to Deshaun. That's just how ridiculous those throws were. Th those throws came from a baseball player. That's somebody that played shortstop had to dive out for a ball and make a throw from their knees. And at the end of the day, that type of muscle memory, everybody doesn't have. Mahomes was drafted in baseball. That's what he, you know, that's what he did. I don't think Deshaun really, I think Deshaun in that game would have looked kind of like he looked against Tampa Bay last year. That's a fair point. And that was exactly my argument back. Deshaun played him last year. Uh, Deshaun may have looked a little bit better than Mahomes. Um, he can do backyard plays. They don't look like Mahomes plays. Mm -hmm. They look like Deshaun plays. 
Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like apples to oranges. I don't know what type of quarterback uh, Watson would be if he had a weapon like Kelsey, because Watson doesn't look at his tight ends. Now him and Tyree kill would definitely get along, but yeah. Watson tends to, tends to skip the read on the tight ends. And I mean, it could just be talent level. Um, there's a lot of different reasons for it, but I think that Deshaun is a little bit more used to get it running for his life and having linebackers come at him like missiles than, than Pat was. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the gap between the two of them is a lot closer than a lot of the national media gives them credit for. I'm not as much as I want to, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to join the bandwagon where Deshaun is better than Mahomes. Cause um, I mean, Mahomes I was in the back to back Super Bowls. I, I, I can't, Get on that bandwagon. And he was one offsides penalty away from it being three. I know. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, the thing is. He's got a better team. He does have a better team. But, I mean, he's more physically talented. He's the more physically talented player. He has a cannon. He can throw the ball from literally any arm angle. He can throw it, like, from any arm angle. The only other quarterback that does it like that is Matt Stafford. And, I mean, he throws from all different levels. He can release flat-footed and still throw a missile 30 yards. Deshaun can't do that. I mean, most people in the NFL can't do that. Most human beings can't. And that's why Mahomes is better. And Mahomes, I think what makes him better is his physical ability. And Deshaun, I feel like Deshaun maximizes his physical ability to the utmost because Deshaun's not quite as physically talented, but he's still – is on that same level, but I don't think he's better. I think that they are very, very close. Uh, that's pretty much where I'm going to leave it. But <laughs> it's, I mean, Mahomes is is a freak of nature and relies more on his physicality. I think mm-hmm. uh, Watson has the Watson has the capacity to have a longer, better career. I think that Watson has more of a killer instinct than Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes is in a much, much better situation, which does magnify everything. But, I mean, I just, I can't go there and say that he's not, that he's better than Mahomes. Yeah. Um, I just can't, as much as I want to. The other thing that I, I, I really want to give the uh, Buccaneers compliments. Do I not? Deshaun is definitely way more athletic. I was, yeah, I see that he uh, said Watson's way more, he is. Watson's way more athletic than Mahomes. I agree. I think Watson has a more natural feel of like the, the – Watson's just like a football player. I feel like if Mahomes wasn't playing quarterback, he wouldn't be playing football at all. I feel like if Deshaun wasn't playing quarterback, he would have found somewhere else on the field to play, and he would have been successful, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense, and I could definitely see it. I think that mm-hmm. if Mahomes wasn't playing quarterback, he's playing baseball. If- right. Watson's not playing quarterback. He might be a receiver. He might be a cornerback. He would have found a way on the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he would have found the way on the field. No doubt. Um, I'm just, I disagreed with James on this last year. I've disagreed with this with others. I do think that the argument is worth having. What you got? But I don't think that Watson has overtaken Mahomes. Now, granted, I would, this is, I don't really want to talk too much about the Watson trade, so we'll kind of come back to it. But I would absolutely love to see Watson surrounded by a team that he deserves, talent-wise, to see what happens. Like, I think that that would be fair. Granted, <laughs> I also want to be a homer, and I don't want him to leave Houston ever. <laughs> like, if <so>. we <laughs> like if we would have kept the same team that uh, that was up on Kansas City 24-0 and just got a better running back. We could have just got all we needed was a, a more dominant running back, and I feel like we would have been fine instead. Yeah, let's not. We'll, we'll get there. The other thing I wanted to talk about the Buccaneers is how they put together their coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Whereas you see, like, there's a narrative the Texans put, used to put theirs together. Uh, what I said earlier in the show, set piece to set piece, like, everybody has a story. And I think that they're trying to emulate what both Kansas City and Tampa Bay did with their coaching staffs. But take a look at the coaching staff on Tampa Bay. That is an all-star staff. That oh, is yeah. a really good staff. Yeah, they actually had a lot of they actually had a lot of uh, people I didn't know, like Michael Pittman and stuff like that. I didn't even realize they were coaching. 
Yeah, they 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 put together a really nice staff. And see, that staff feels handpicked by Bruce Arians. I wonder how many coaches around the league have a staff that they weren't that they didn't pick because I feel like that's unheard of. Maybe I'm tripping, but I feel like I no, just I feel think- like everybody brings along their guys. I definitely agree with that. Like, I honestly think that somebody very, well, not necessarily very smart, but somebody smart uh, took a look at the Buccaneers staff, took a look at the Chiefs staff, and it's like, how can you emulate that? But we got, like, C-grade copies. Like, Cooley (laughs) is like a a grandpa version of Arians. Um, But Arians actually was really a really smart offensive mind. But he's a CEO style coach. He hires coaches and he lets them coach. But that same, like, he's going to be the face. He's going to manage it. Yeah. Um, TK, Tim Kelly, I. that is such a weird, he doesn't mash with the, the rest of the staff. Whereas Byron Leftwich makes perfect sense. Yep. Lovey Smith. I mean, I mean, think about it. Byron Leftwich, his play style as a quarterback is literally Bruce Arians' motto. No risky, no bisky. And Byron Leftwich always chunked bombs with that extra long release. I still remember when he was with the Jaguars, we always have to see him. He had that long release and just would just chunk it. Yeah. he. Ever since he played that game with a broken leg for Marshall, like I always wanted him to do well. Yeah. But yeah, He's he tough. just, he didn't have, he didn't have the release. But it was that, smart no risk it no biscuit like he he was he was a very smart quarterback and i think that sometimes that gets lost but you see it as an offensive coordinator and even if the only thing he did this year was say hey tom what do you want to do like that's smart and that takes a little bit of humbling yourself especially as a coordinator to realize that you have somebody like that to take to take advantage of yeah with, with, with Tim Kelly, man, I'm just hope. I mean, like I said, I feel like it's a lame duck. I feel like it's a lame duck year for him. I feel like if he does well, he'll be a head coaching candidate. If he does, if he does terrible, you have Pep Hamilton or you have Josh McCown already waiting in the wings, being groomed for the position anyway. Yeah, whether we like it. or All right, not. I uh, my least favorite part of the the pod. So, um, well, Russell Wilson decided to throw his name into the hat of uh, quarterbacks that may potentially be moved. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about all this? What do you think about Deshaun? What do you think about the Carson Wentz? What do you think about like just general? Because, I mean, there's craziness. Apparently, we called and we inquired about Carson Wentz. Like, I doubt it. Wait, okay. I didn't, I didn't hear then, that. Texans inquired yeah, about Carson that, Wentz. Uh, Benjamin Albright said that the Texans were one of the teams that called about um, Carson Wentz didn't say he, he corrected himself a little bit later. He said they didn't make an offer, but they did call and inquire. Hmm. So what I would assume that's this drama? covering your P's and Q's. I, so as far as the whole, I got to start. Let me just start in one spot. As far as Deshaun goes, you know, I get it. I get it, man. He's upset. The fact that he thought that he should have a say in who the GM is, I feel like it's a bit off base. But if that's something that he was promised and he wasn't given, then I understand, you know, feeling like you were lied to. I also understand the fact that he was supposed to have input on the head coach. And he and I feel like the Texans drug their feet on even approaching the coaches that he wanted because he spoke out about Eric Bieniemy and Soleil. He, he spoke out about both of them in a press conference when they asked about coaches. And the thing is, I feel like they took forever. I feel like they t- took forever to reach out to Bieniemy, And apparently we don't even reach out to Soleil at all. I'm not even going to touch on the whole religious aspect that I've heard people kind of spinning this towards. I don't even, I mean, I'm not even sure about that as far as Soleil goes, but I get why Deshaun's upset. Um, I also, you know, I feel like, you know, do whatever's best for you. 
I'm sure behind closed doors, it's much worse than what we see. And we're just analyzing what's on the surface. Anytime in a job or with a company, if things are bubbling over to the point where the outside notices, then it's way worse on the inside. So if it's just now bubbling over to the point where we're being notified by all this stuff, it's probably been hell for the last two, three years and no buttons. It just took long enough for it to get to this point. So if he wants to be gone and he's that serious and he wants to sit out about it, and he's that serious, then he's doing what's in his best interest. So I feel that the Texans should do what's in our best interest. I'm from Houston. I'm born and raised in Houston. So I'm going to root for the Texans regardless. That doesn't mean I have to spend my dollars, but I'm going to root for them regardless. So I feel like the Texans should do what's in their best interest. Whether that's have him sit a year, we suck, and we have a number one pick next year, then we trade him. Or if we trade him now and try to get a king's ransom. I'm literally open to just about anything. Because as terrible as our roster is, nothing was about to happen overnight, whether Deshaun was here or not. Yeah. No. Um, so what? what is your prediction? Do you think he's going to be traded or do you think he's going to stick around? I think any man that's come out and already said that he's willing to sit for a year, if he doesn't, he's going to seem disingenuous. Or if he, he doesn't said that though, like he has not said that. Um, his oh, yeah, agent I'm actually ready? put out there saying that he, he would not do that. Oh, yeah. I don't know whether he's going to come back or not. I can't. I can't say one way or another. I hope he's back. I really do because I mean I love Deshaun. I've been waiting on a quarterback all this time. I really hope he's back. But if he's not back, I just hope that we get enough to make us feel a little bit little, uh, make us feel a little bit better about losing the best thing we had. Yeah, um I can totally I can totally see it both ways. I my biggest fear with trading him and I can even understand why some people you can see it in Twitter, people are starting to talk themselves into it because they're realizing That's what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. It's going to what what type of haul the Texans are going to have to get in order to make it happen. I mean, you're looking at three to three to four first round picks and probably two additional second round picks and a player or two that is ready to contribute. I totally get when you start looking at that, like why that's tempting. Like you could rebuild your half your roster like overnight. But my opinion also on it has been is especially here in Houston where we have a quarterback list that rivals the Browns on how many we've had since our, since we were brought back in the, into the league. Yeah. How do you give up something like that? It's so hard to find a quarterback. We've had great teams that were short a quarterback of being special teams, like absolutely teams that could have done something absolutely special. If they only had a quarterback, we've lived that life. Like, I mean, best case scenario, you go out, you trade Deshaun. With those picks, you get the second coming of Arian Foster, the second comer of Andre Johnson, and the second coming of J.J. Watt. We've had that team. What did it get us? And that's the best case. Nine and seven and a close win against the Bengals. Mm -hmm. And that's (laughs) absolutely best case. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, man. But um, I will say this, though. These quarterbacks coming out. Hmm? Would you trade Deshaun Watson for Russell Wilson? Yes. Russell Wilson's a better quarterback than Deshaun. Even though he's older and more expensive? Oh, well, wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about compensation then. I feel like since Russell Wilson's older, you got to chunk us a couple, you got to chunk us a couple, um, a couple picks because of the age difference for sure. You definitely would have to kind of, supplement that some type of way but i definitely i don't I, I like i like russell wilson i think he's a good player i think the both is there any team out there that has a compelling package for deshaun watson in your opinion or have you just not looked into it wait say that again is there any team out there that you think could put together a compelling package that you would actually be like okay bye deshaun and be okay with it I don't know if I would say buy Deshaun, but um, 
I'm not gonna lie, man. You know the the Jets package and the Dolphins package, the things that they could give up. I could I could listen to it a little, you know. But it would have to be it would have to be like on the higher side of what we think. Um, I'm talking like let's say it was the Jets. If it's the Jets, it's gonna have to be those. It's gonna have to be those first round picks this year and next year, like. If you guys get Deshaun, your rebuild is done. Like, you're not going to be able to rebuild because you're not going to have those picks anymore. Right. It has to be like that. And we're going to need Darnold. And we'll probably also need somebody off of the defensive side that's young and cheap. And I know Quentin Williams is a popular name that pops up a lot. And, you know, something like that. I would probably think they would probably give somebody more like Marcus May, but. But, you know, something like that maybe to where we just had so many picks that, you know, we're picking four times in the top 50 or three times in the top 50, then okay. If we're not, then that's the only thing. Let's see. Well, fair enough. Um, I honestly, the Jets can't do it because if they trade everything away, they're never going to be competitors. Granted, they're the only team that, in my opinion, actually has the assets to do it. But, but they'll be but four or five years away. Do what? They do have the cap space. They would just have to switch their. They would just have to switch their approach. They would have to go from more from build through the draft to buy now. Because I just yeah, saw how often has that actually worked? Hmm? How often has that actually worked? What team has ever brought yeah. in a whole bunch of free agents and started to compete? Remember the Jaguars when they went to the the AFC Championship. When they had um, with the Jalen Ramsey and Mike Daniels, and they were just paying all those free agents crazy money, they did they did pretty well that time. I would almost argue that that was the opposite. The Jaguars built that defense on the draft. They built those players with the draft. The reason their window was so short: a Bortles and b overpaying those free agents because they couldn't bring anybody else in when they started to need to. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you definitely have to have a couple draft picks that hit, but I feel like that buy now mentality. Okay. And with Deshaun, who knows, man? You get Deshaun, you bring in a couple receivers, you add in a couple pieces on defense, who knows? I mean, the. I don't know. I just, I don't think that, I think that Miami's closer with him. Oh, definitely, but they're, Miami, they're in the buy now mode too. Yeah, like they could potentially do it only because, you know, we gave them so much ammunition. The Jets are the only team that I personally feel as though they can actually make a, an offer that I wouldn't be sick about. Mm-hmm. But like I've said, if Deshaun wants to go to New York, then he doesn't really want to win because I just I. The oh, Jets, I agree. We also you talk about cap space and then you look at the available free agents. And by the time we actually get to free agency, like right now, everybody's like, oh, here's our top 10 free agent list. Of that top 10 free agent list, nine of them will get franchised or re-signed. Like top free agents never make it to the market in the NFL unless there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Or unless they're on the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Those That's just the only teams that I would be okay with getting somebody from. You know what I mean? That's the only ones that I feel like would have enough assets to make me feel a little bit better. The Jets, the Dolphins, I guess the Seahawks, if that's something. You know, if you can give if you're gonna give up Russell Wilson and some picks, and I mean maybe, and that but that's only I don't know. I don't even like going that far with it, man. I really just want them all to make up and Deshaun to come back. That's really what I want to happen. I need yeah. Because right now, I think that's part of the reason why Deshaun hasn't said anything because there is still a chance to make it right. And I think his people around it are trying to make the flames look brighter and make him seem angrier. Because as soon as Deshaun says something, like, that's where things get really, really interesting. That's really the point of no return. Yeah. The fact that Deshaun hasn't said anything himself means that there is still an opportunity to make it right. And he's relying on other people to say things he cannot. Because if he says it, it's over. And even then, it's still the NFL. So it's never really over until the Texans decide they want to move on from him. Um, 
but let's let's uh there's another little wrinkle to the Deshaun thing, I feel like though. You know, the disrespect, all of these problems, yeah. But what about the fact that Deshaun maybe he just looks at this team and he sees a team with no cap space, a terrible roster, and a long time it'll take to get to where some of these other teams are. I think I mean I'm sure that has to add to it. I mean, you have if you're going to give cap space, then you have to get rid of. You're going to have to get rid of some starters. But I mean, who do you have behind those starters? We have some. I mean, we have some young players. But our young players, I feel like this year didn't really. I don't feel like they showed very much promise. Yeah, and I think that may be part of the frustration on behalf of Deshaun. Like the GM that they brought in, he's got to have faith that he can flip it around, and he doesn't have faith in Nick. But we'll see. We'll still see. Um, And of course it's the Texans. So of course they'll mess it up because that's what they do. How else, who else can mess up the, the GM head coach search like this? Like seriously, we should be so happy and optimistic. Like look at what this team is going to put together. And of course we all just sit here every day when we think about the Texans and we're sick to our stomachs and it's not fun. All right. Well, it has been so much fun to have you on. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to talk about real quick before we sign off? Because we're at the hour. There is one thing I want to talk about. Just one thing before we go. We always talk about the Texans and we look at, we're looking at, you know, the roster. You know, you watch certain teams around the league, like you see the Buccaneers defense during the Super Bowl and the way they move to the ball and how fast they are and aggressive they are. And you're just like, my team doesn't play anything like that. The Saints, they play like that. The Packers play like that. You know, there's teams, their defenses just play fast. They play fierce, and that's just how they play. And we're nowhere near that. One of the biggest reasons that we're that way is because we suck when it comes to mid-round picks. Your mid-round picks, you're hoping one day are actually contributors on your team. And what we do is we continually miss on third-round picks. Kahali Waring. Yeah, you can say Kahali Waring. He's a miss. What about Deontay Foreman? Y'all remember him? Where is he at? Julian Davenport. You got Carlos Watkins. They weren't third-round picks, but these are mid-round picks. These are guys that you want to contribute to their team, and they don't. Braxton Miller, Tyler Irvin, K.J. Dillon. Where are these guys? They should be in their fifth and sixth years, and they should actually be contributing and on second contracts, and they're not there. I can go even farther. Jalen Strong, Keith Mumphrey. Remember, we talked about it yesterday. Keith Mumphrey was drafted one pick ahead of Stefan Diggs. What the hell are we looking at? What are we looking at? Jesus. But that's all. That's it. So do you think this is going to improve under Nick C? Or do you think that... Because this was the biggest criticism we had of Rick Smith. Like, he always got the first round right, missed everything else. Now, that continued um, under the Texans without Rick Smith, but they didn't really make a lot of changes to their staffing mm-hmm. um, and to their scouting departments and their player personnel departments with Nick C coming in and making some changes. Do you think that we're going to get better at mid round picks? Mm, I really hope so. I really hope so. The Patriots, I feel like the Patriots always would trade back. And I feel like the Patriots will make those trade back picks. I feel like, I, I feel like they used to make a lot of those picks count. I don't know whose decisions they were. I don't know who were making the picks, but I'm hoping that Casario has a good eye for talent and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt at least through a draft or two. Because this draft, if we start out and he only has a third round pick, I mean, you know, it's hard to judge somebody when all they have is a third round pick to start. Your first pick is 67. The Jaguars, they pick five times before we pick once. So I'll give him a couple of years to see how he picks, see what kind of free agency brings in. You know, at the end of the day, man, I just I hope we keep our quarterback and I hope that we bring in better players. That's all I can hope at this point. You know, that's all we all hope for. Um, I want to say Jerome T is a very, very smart man. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, the Jets have no run game. His best receiver would be Crowder. No O-line. What QB wants that wants to win wants to go to that? We've kind of talked about it. If Deshaun wants to go to New York, he doesn't want to win. Yeah, he definitely is only after what New York has to offer. 
but that is it um thank y'all all so much for listening and being a part of chat tonight uh thank you coach barnes for showing up um hey, no problem, man. this was fun i i really really enjoyed it um i know thank we are booked too. out till may but hopefully we're able to get you on here <laughs> again because this was good i liked it great things you had some great comments you definitely know the game anything else you want to say produce or give it your twitter handle one more time or anything like that before we sign off oh yeah man i'm um, i'm coach barnes on twitter my handle is at rumple still win rumple still win <laughs> i wouldn't spell it out but eh, you know y'all find me yeah i definitely want to bring coach back back uh ryan all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully next week we have happy things to talk about. That is all I am hoping for right now in Houston is we get happy things to talk about at some point this off season. Until then, we'll be here next week. All right, man. Thanks.